Welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Command and control leadership is dead. We interview leaders, entrepreneurs, and executive coaches challenging old paradigms and fostering cutting-edge leadership. Here's your host, certified executive coach, Nate Leslie. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I think you need to buckle in for this one. This, this episode is high energy. My guest, Amy Wong, is an author, executive leadership coach, very educated. She's worked with organizations like Salesforce, Roku, LinkedIn, Stanford, University of California, Berkeley, where she lives with her family. Uh, it is high energy. I learned so much. As always, I hope you enjoy. We explore her book, Living on Purpose. Gosh, I, I got a lot of themes running in my head here after this one. Uh, enjoy. Here it is. Amy Wong, welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Thanks for having me, Nate. I'm happy to be here. You know what? I'm When I was doing the research, getting ready for this interview, I kept seeing words that just really resonate with me personally. So my gut is telling me this is going to be a a naturally flowing, fun conversation for the two of us. And so I hope it is for the listeners as well. Yeah, I'm feeling it. <laughs> when, when you think about your book, Living on Purpose, and when you think about talking about leadership and executive coaching, whose lives do you think will be impacted most uh, who are going to listen to this conversation today? Yeah, great question. So the book really has been written for and who's going to benefit from this conversation is the individual who really is committed to doing well in the world. And whether that's by an external standard or internal standard, it's that, you know, they're relatively ambitious. They're relatively committed. They do the work to, to quote unquote thrive. And really who this book is written for is for all the folks that have done it quote unquote, right and still feel totally unfulfilled. Mm. Or you can look at your life on paper and say, wow, I have no reason to be quote unquote unhappy, but yet there's something missing. Mm. And it's definitely for the individual for, that recognizes it's not gonna be doing more of the same. I just don't know what to do different. Mm. And so who's gonna really benefit from our conversation today is the individual who feels that way. It's like, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm so close to genuine inner peace and I know I'm getting in my own way. I, I get that it's not gonna be a bigger title. I get that it's not gonna be more money, even though I swear to God, my head is convincing me that's the case. I just don't know what it is. And so that's what I think people have to look forward to is, um, you know, what is that and how do we yeah. overcome that? Oh man, I'm glad I asked. Like ambitious people willing to do the work. Okay, yeah. right on. Listener, is that you, right? <laughs> that's, that's cool. Uh, and tell me a bit more about the, the moment that you realized that it needed to be written. Oh, you know, I've had, there's there's been some pivotal moments along the way. Okay. The first was around 2014. So I've been coaching. So I founded, I started coaching in 2010, founded my company in 2011 and just off I went. And, you know, and in the process of many, 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 many conversations and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of research, I was starting to really discern, wow, there are some very universal themes 
in the ways in which we hold ourselves back and was working through and very organically working through that process to help people through those inner blocks. Now, my, my training, I, you know, traditionally have mathematician. And so there's a part of me that, that just hungers for logic and objectivity. And so for me to be able to discern the ways in which we navigate the world in a really objective, somewhat irrefutable way is, is a super strength of mine. And so taking clients through a process that was really rather objective, yet really rather subjective, because here we're talking about transformation, right? Because my master's is in transpersonal psychology, so we have to honor that. I started to, I started very organically to take people through a bit of a process, which isn't, it's not super formulaic, but it's a process. And it was working, Nate. Oh my gosh, was it working? <laughs> and it was tear-jerkingly amazing. And it was around 2014, I was like, wow, I mean, I think, I think I'm really onto something. Hmm. I think, I think this, this needs to be available to folks. And then two more pivotal moments. The moment shortly after that, people were saying, is there a book on this? Like, it, it, where can I read more about what we're doing? And I'm like, oh, that book doesn't exist because this is a combination of many different practices and different disciplines and a lot of logic it doesn't exist. And so then when people started asking me for a book, that's when I I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do this. And then here was the super pivotal moment. 2016, I'm getting certified for conversational intelligence. And oh boy, do I love to talk about this, the conversation about conversations. And when I'm immersed in the neuroscience of communication and trust, when I learn about the neuroscience of rejection, it was as if the whole like the top blew off. And that was exactly the missing link I needed to make sense of everything that we were doing. So I'm like, that's it. Got it all. And so <laughs> at that point, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that this book would, would, would come to fruition. I also knew it wasn't time to write it. And deep in my heart. So I, I am committed. I mean, almost, almost hilariously. So I'm committed to only operate off inspiration and inspiration was saying, hold back. Not yet. You still got okay. you still got case studies. You still got client conversations. You still got research to do. And so it wasn't until 2019 that the it just clicked. And I'm like, oh, okay, now's the time. Got to do it. And then boom, the it was almost effortless the way in which this thing just completely yeah. came through. Yeah. Uh, that's a great story because you had all these successes, like these these moments with clients, and then they're literally asking you, "Is there a book on this?" Mm -hmm. When if there's if there's thought leaders, executive coaches, people in this leadership space wondering what their book is going to be, having tons of success, and then having people searching for something that that, in your opinion, doesn't exist out there is mm -hmm. a is a great combination. Oh, I love that distinction. Yes, mm -hmm. well said. Mm -hmm. Five deliberate choices to realize fulfillment and joy. Your mm -hmm. subtitle, the the words deliberate choice mm. really caught my attention. What do you want to share about that? Yeah, it was so important to me to have deliberate in there. So important. Mm, mm. And you know what a lot of us don't think about or, or talk about often is that the fact that we are at choice, oh my gosh, what a gift, what a privilege we have. And to exercise choice really is a superpower. And when, when we, when we truly want to thrive, all of us want to thrive, let's just be clear. I mean, nobody, mm -hmm. nobody wants to be down in the dumps. Yeah. And so we all, we all have desires to feel good and to thrive. And really it's the sum total of our choices that dictate the quality of our life. 
what I mean by deliberate choice is it's not the low, it's not choice at the level of action that's really going to be give you the most bang for your buck. So for example, I'm going to choose a salad over this big fatty burrito for lunch, right? Now that's going to serve you, sure. Is that going to help? Absolutely. Um, so we can make choices at the level of action that are going to contribute to a better life, no doubt. But really where we start to make the most profound shifts and, un and free ourselves from false perception and free ourselves from unnecessary resistance and the ways in which we hold ourselves back is when we make choice at the level of perception. And so when I say deliberate choice, it's taking responsibility for the quality of our own life, recognizing that what I am choosing to perceive and thus interpret is giving rise to every aspect of my experience. And so if I'm going to be deliberate in the way in which I show up and make choices on how I'm going to go forth and interpret and perceive and the mindsets I hold, woo, then, then, then you got something going here. So that's, that's really what this is about. So deliberate is, is kind of in that is that sense of responsibility and commitment that I believe is absolutely required if we truly want to claim the life we were born to live. Mm, wow. I heard you say right at the start of that, it's a privilege and, mm. and, and, and it makes me feel like I don't want to take that privilege lightly. And then I heard you say it's a, our life is the sum total of mm -hmm. the choices that we make and that, and, and then you use the word responsibility. I love breaking down that word. We have the ability to respond. And so we're yes. faced with, yes. okay, that resonates. Go. <laughs> <laughs> my God, my favorite quote of all time is Viktor Frankl's quote. Between, stimu uh, between stimulus and response, there mm. is space. And in that space lies our ability to choose our response. Mm. And in our choice lies our freedom and our growth. And that to me is, oh gosh. I mean, I must refer to that quote. I must think about that quote at least twice a week. It is truly, I mean, there's just, it's magic. Yeah. You had that, you had that ready right there. And I, <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is, that is in you. I can see it. Can you share it with our yeah. listeners again, please? That was yes, absolutely. So between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space lies our ability to choose our response. Mm. And in our choice lies our freedom and our growth. Mm. You yeah. talked about having conversations about conversations. I feel like the people I look up to, people I call mentors, have the ability to create a tiny space after the end of what someone else says before they begin. And I think there's a universal theme, as you mentioned earlier, in society where we think we need to just respond so quickly, which is you, you have that stimulus happens, which is what someone else is saying. And then boom, we just respond mm. without a lot of thought. And gosh, how many times has that actually gotten me in trouble in my life, <laughs> let alone <laughs> come out not as articulately maybe as I, as I mentioned, am I, am I following your thread right oh, here? So much so. Yes, there's, yes, absolutely. hundred percent. And there, there's so many ways in which we can think about, apply and honor but that, that wisdom and what you're talking about here is just so relevant, you know, and I'm thinking about, as you say that, what pops into my mind is just the way in which we are habituated and conditioned through a, the educational system, right? We are trained to have the right answer. 
And in our capitalist society, we're trained to have the answer be first and do it right and do it better. And and so, you know, that's just what is. Am I judging it? No, that's just what is. But naturally, they're going to be impacts. And so I think within many of us, there's just that muscle memory of wanting to have the right answer, you know, because that's how we gain acceptance, approval and belonging. And that is life to the brain. Right. Rejection is death to the brain. And so on a very primal level, we are seeking that acceptance, belonging and approval. And so we're really quick to want to provide that value, quick to assert our value so that we can be, you know, we can be in good graces with others. But honestly, it just works against us, <laughs> yeah. you know, because when we jump right in and don't give it space, essentially what we're saying is mm, what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. Yeah. You know? And yeah. um yeah, it's, it's, boy, there's just, there's so much in this, so much in this. Mathematician background, and then masters in transpersonal psychology. You've, I, I hear your thoughts connecting. I don't know if they're linear. For me, I, I thought I was good in math until, you know, second year calculus in university. Then I realized <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe I wasn't. I, I thought I was great at it until then. So I don't know if these equations for you are linear, but they, but there are pieces together, you know, like re rejection mm. it is rejection equals the death of the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and this, and our life is the sum total of the choices we make. Do you, do you notice yourself making those? Oh, all okay. the time. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because it's not, it's, if I, I don't know if I have words to describe the how I, I'm able to, how I grok information. And it's, you know, the, the beautiful thing about having studied pure mathematics is, you know, people think that, oh, it's, you're really good at arithmetic, you know, and it's so funny. We'll be out to dinner and with friends and they're like, oh, Amy, you do, you, what, what's the tip? And I'm like, I don't know, get a calculator, <laughs> not arithmetic, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's quite a different study, right? Where you're taking large sets of data, seemingly abstract and disparate data, and you're making sense of it, finding patterns, and then essentially finding meaning within the information itself. And so, mm -hmm. um, that really is a, it's an art and it's a science. And for me, I can, it's, it's like, I feel like there's always a part of me that's really zoomed out in conversation mm. and super present with what is. And in the zoomed out perspective, I see how it all totally connects. And so interestingly, you know, cause a lot of people say, gosh, I mean, this is that fascinating. You studied math, but then you did transpersonal psychology. You do transformational leadership coaching. You do transformational coaching, but yet you're an expert in communication and public speaking. How does that all relate? And I'm like, how do you not see that it relates? <laughs> and so <laughs> right. it's, but it's, but to me, I can see how it's like, oh, well, communication is really a symptom. It's an effective, you know, the relationship we have with ourselves, that deeper perceptual stuff. And, you know, the ways in which we show up in presentation and public speaking is an effective, I mean, so much. And so I can, there's just that part of me that sees it. And it might not necessarily be a linear map, but mm. it's definitely a, it's a map that's coherent for sure. If you took that coherent map and, and you, if we focus for a second on communication by leaders, mm -hmm. um, and you have noticed over your experience either, let's go two ways. First one is one thing leaders could do to have way more impactful communication skills, like what conversations about conversations. You, you, I have a sense you watch conversations and you see things and you're like, mm, yeah, if you did that, 
that was awesome. And that was very common and annoying to people or whatever. <laughs> thinking of people in my life who, who yeah. do, you know, do the same thing in a conversation and I probably do it too. So let me back up and ask that again. Yeah. What is a common theme that you see that leaders who communicate, who do it really well in the conversations that they have with the people that they lead? Oh, that do it really well. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like there, as you, as you traverse and climb that ladder in leadership two it diverges in two directions. And then you'll have one in one camp and another in another camp. And the ones that do it really well and the ones that are really lacking in that ability, here's here's the difference, is the ones that do it really well. Essentially, what they have done is they have continued along the path. They have made it important and they continue to ensure that the impact that they're having on others is congruent with the intention they hold. That they have awareness of the impact that they are having and they bring that into the equation of effective communication. This is so important because that signals trust and safety. And that trust in my book, that is well, more figuratively than literally, is truly the ultimate currency. We don't talk about it that way. We don't think about it that way. We kind of take it for granted. But the truth is we can't get anything done when there is no trust. And there's so much to say about that topic, but I'll, I'll put a pin in that. But for the ones that do it really, really well, it's essentially that they are aware of their impact and they essentially are are doing what they can to instill that sense of safety. And I don't mean safety like because others are thinking they're going to chase after them with knives, but it's that feeling of like, Wow, I can tell you something without fear of negative consequence or punishment or belittling or judgment. I mean, that is such that that is everything. So that's the one camp. The other camp, right? And I really do mean a divergence because I kind okay. of feel like there's really there you're either in or you're out. Okay. So what happens for a lot of individuals, a lot of leaders, is as they climb that ladder, what happens is that there's a part of them that believes that the reason that they are so successful is due to their thinking. And because of their mindset and their perspective. And so they put all their eggs in the, oh, it's because of my thinking. It's because of my way of being. And as they climb that ladder, they focus more and more and more on their own intention and less and less and less on the impact that they're having. And as they climb that ladder, what happens is they think that they are, you know, they are the best thing since life spread because of the decisions they make, their their discerning ability, their leader, their management, blah, 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 blah. And it's exactly when they are completely unaware of their impact and they're shutting people down around them, that there is such a huge opportunity mm. for transformation mm. and growth. And I kind of feel like you, you're really not in the middle. You either are aware or you're not. And yes. you honor it or you don't. And it's not that these people on the second track I'm talking about don't want to. They just forgot that it was important and now it's become a blind spot. Oh, man. So the tagline of leading with curiosity is command and control leadership is dead, which I know it's not. It just needs to be. And <laughs> and as I heard you describing those two camps, those who believe it needs to be dead are aware of the impact that they have on the others. Yeah. On others. The other camp on the other side of this line I just drew on my page is maybe un often unintentionally. They Completely. are unaware of the impact they're having on others. Yep. And you described through trust and safety, you described psychological safety really well. And people are seeing that word all the time on LinkedIn. They're like, what is that about? It is simply that someone can speak up in a meeting and have their voice heard 
without fear of judgment, belittling all the things that you just said. So that's yeah. that, right? And not not do I trust you'll get to work on time? Do I trust while we're at work together or once I'm gone that you're not talking badly about my, me behind my back? You're not, you know, poisoning the the well. Right. Uh, can, right. can I can I be me? Yeah. Can I be? Can I have my own ideas? Yeah. And yeah. it's so, you know, and it sounds so obvious and simple, but, you know, it's for us to thrive. So I'll just break this. If it's okay, I'll just break this down really quick. It's because I just find this so fascinating. You know, our brain, our brainstem, our body, all of it together, you know, it's, it's just, it's truly a miraculous mystery to me, just how it is that we just exist. It's so, it's so cool. And And the brain itself, I just feel like is the most mysterious and amazing entity of in the universe now this brain and brainstem and body one of its primary jobs is to keep you alive right so the brain right. is always going to look out for safety and, and on a non-conscious level uh, not uh, not on an awareness level not on the normal waking level but just it's always running and so your brain's always looking out for safety and the brain can't differentiate between environmental threats and social threats and so okay. you're like wait a minute how is that the case well you know, if you think when I, I alluded to the fact that rejection is death to the brain, I mean, that's actually true. Because if you think about it, when a human's born, they are completely underdeveloped and their survival brain dominant, right? The prefrontal mm -hmm. cortex okay. doesn't start developing until adolescence and not fully formed until your mid-20s. So you're neurologically underdeveloped and you're completely helpless. So to the brain, the brain knows, hey, I got to stay alive, but wait, food, water, shelter. Yeah, that'll come if mom or dad buy in. So therefore, life is acceptance and buy-in and approval. I get that. I'm golden. And right. so to the brain, the brain automatically immediately knows that therefore rejection is death to the brain. And so it, and so for we have a wiring within us from the moment we are born to the day that we die to avoid rejection like we avoid the plague. That's why we're so afraid of speaking in public. We're so afraid of judgment. We're so afraid of failure. All of the things, the ways in which we hold ourselves back largely can map to that fear of not being seen in a favorable light. Why? Because that's like not being included and that's like rejection and that's like death. And rejection itself as an experience registers literally as physical mm. pain. Mm. It registers in what's called the pain matrix. And so that's why we talk about it in the way that we do. So like, for example, do you remember your first real heartbreak in high school or college? Yes. Got it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then you're like, and you remember, and you're like uh, the first real one, right? When you were really in love and you were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry this person. And, and then, and then it doesn't work out. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm dying. You remember that? Yeah. So yeah. the brain really thought you were dying. I mean, how do we talk about it? Oh my God, it hurts. It hurts. And so when we don't get the job offer, when we weren't included in the meeting, when it, it we literally, it, it hurts because it does hurt to the brain. Now, why am I sharing this? Because this is running in the background all the time, all the time. And so now you have to ask, well, how is rejection felt? Hmm. Well, it's not as overt as, you know, my spouse not letting me in the house when I get home from work. You know, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's, it's felt in communication. It's felt in the ways in which we interact with one another. It's in our facial expressions. It's in our tone of voice. It's in our word choice. It's it's and it's in a lot of our interaction dynamics. And so, when we recognize that life to the brain 
really is the brain signaling for safety and, 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 and asserting, yes, I am safe by these three ways. One, I am safe. Two, I belong. And three, I am seen. Because that's the way the brain is constantly looking for safety. It's constantly asking, am I safe? Do I need to protect myself? Am I safe right now? Am I safe? And it's not so much from sharp knives. It's, it's image, status, and reputation. The second question is, do I belong? Do I fit in? Am I a part of this group here? So that, that's, that's that need to be a part of a we. And then the third is, am I being seen? Am I being acknowledged and valued and heard and appreciated? The value that the I makes up the we. So they all kind of work together. So as you're navigating, if any one of these toggles to know, that's when we get triggered and that's mm. when we feel danger. Mm. Wow. As I heard you describe uh, safety, belonging, and being seen, I, I just pictured the coaches listening to this podcast, right? The trained coaches who know that's exactly what we need to do for our clients is create a container where they feel safe, belong, where they feel seen, heard, and understood. Yeah. And then there's the leaders, these tactical, tangible behaviors that influence that perception of impact, like how I impact others as a leader. Those are three things to keep in the back of the brain there for the leaders listening. Do the people on my team feel safe, like they belong here, mm -hmm. and that they're seen? doesn't mean all of their ideas will be voted on unanimously, unanimously, unanimously at any time. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's that they can share and contribute those. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. You just, that's exactly right. And then that's what we need to tie together. So being aware of one's impact, you know, if we really want to supercharge that it's, it's yes, it's intending to be aware, but it's really checking for, are these three things, uh, can I, can I say that in the affirmative? And if that's the case, yeah, yeah. more golden. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm going to challenge the listeners to right now to think about their unintended diminishing behavior. What is it that they are doing unintentionally that is diminishing that culture of safety, belonging, and being seen? Mm -hmm. And my hunch, as I think about everything that you've shared it's it's likely through survival that that other camp that you described of of people climbing the ladder and thinking that their thoughts and ideas are becoming more and more important and that's what got them there mm -hmm. i'll connect it back to a previous episode can wisdom be taught and the most profound line in that was the day that we accept that we know almost nothing about anything only then are we truly free yeah, yes. And if a leader can say, you know what, yeah. like open their arms instead of get out their elbows, right? I haven't, maybe I've had to fight my way here, but now that I'm here, what if I like open my hands to the, to the team instead of, yeah. you know, kept the door locked or kept my elbows sharp, mm. um, that, that the impact that we can have on people that we lead, mm. uh, hmm. where do we need to take this conversation to, to tie a bow around everything that you've shared Boy. with our listeners today. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many, there's, there's, <laughs> there's so many directions we could take this. It's, you know, it's the, I don't know. What are you feeling, Nate? <laughs> I'm feeling really lucky to have had the conversation uh, without getting too tactical and telling everybody where they can find the book. Cause we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, 
when you think about the work that you're doing and you think about the lives that you're going to impact by people reading your book, what does it mean to you? Oh, beautiful question. Well, it means I'm, I'm truly living my purpose. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this book, this, I, I wrote this book because I had to, I wrote it because I knew it was going to help. And, you know, this is going to sound either lame or, or corny or woo woo, but I, I, you know, for really early on, as a young kid, like I knew I didn't have words for it, but I got, I knew I was here to raise the, just raise the thinking, raise the, the consciousness of, of, of humanity to help, to help them come back to truth, help them come back to, to self-love, to, to just to, to truth in general, to, to raise that vibration. I knew that I've always mm. known that. Um, and, you know, really this book is an expression of, 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 of doing that. And, um, the, and the great, and it just, it's just so heartwarming when I get that reassurance, when folks reach out, when pe strangers reach out. I mean, I'm having the most amazing, beautiful notes and requests saying, oh my gosh, this, this, I, this changed me, this mm. profoundly, this helped profoundly. Wow. And um, that, that, that just means the world to me. And, you know, just, I'll, I'll say the last thing about this. One of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest things that was really important to me was, you know, like you, hundreds of conversations. I mean, at this point, it's thousands, thousands mm. of conversations, you know, and I have, you know, when I started out, you know, as a life coach and I'm, I'm coaching with people and friends and, you know, it, it grows and it progresses in the most amazing ways. And, mm -hmm. and I've hit the entire spectrum. I kid you not from, from friends to, to, to college students, maybe even high school students, drug and rehab, um, patients but all the I mean all all celebrities athletes you name it but now leaders and so across that entire spectrum this book applies and what was really important was that at folks on every level at any point in life can say wow I'm not alone mm -hmm. yes oh my gosh even the most successful founders of the biggest companies or most amazing startups they they do this too right because that just to know that we are not alone in our humanity is such, <laughs> it's just healing in and of itself. Yeah, and yeah. so I really wanted to dispel this myth that, you know, you get to a certain level of success, you quote unquote, make it, which nobody ever feels like they do. But let's yeah. say, you know, that, that, that idea that, yeah. oh, I'm going to be free of all of my crappy inner dialogue. I'm going to be free of my fears. I'm going to be free of my longings. And I say, nope, the game just changes <laughs> when you get to that next level. And, but it's completely universal, whether you're a CEO or you are a new college graduate, you, know, you name it. And so that's what was really important for me to communicate out to folks was mm. that you're not alone. You are not alone. And we are all in this together. Amy, for those watching on our Leading with Curiosity YouTube channel, why don't you just hold up that yeah. book and let us Oops. let listeners know where they can uh, can yeah. find you, find it. Absolutely. So you can find me at my website, which is alwaysonpurpose.com. Lots of information there. The book's there as well. And, you know, the book is available where all books are sold. So you can 
requested anywhere. Amazon's probably a great choice because there is the audible, I got to narrate, which was super oh, fun. Wow. Yeah, so I did, <laughs> I, I narrated, which is awesome. So that's available. And um, if you wanna, you wanna stay in touch, I'm on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, Amy Elisa Wong. And yeah, I'm not a big Instagram fan. I have an account. I just don't use it. So Perfect. you can find me, but <laughs> you've, given us, you've given us lots of great, simple ways where, where leaders live anyways. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Let's yeah. just, let's just, let's just live where leaders live on LinkedIn. There, there, that yeah. works. That yeah. works. <laughs> Such a pleasure. I wish you all the success and I've been really impacted by our conversation and I hope our listeners have too. Thank you, Nate. Thanks for listening to Leading with Curiosity. Please share, follow, and rate the show so that other leaders can make positive change in the world. Connect with Nate at natelesley.ca. And remember, the brain behaves very differently when encouraged to think rather than told to listen. <laughs>